Welcome to Geminit, a podcast about knitting, spinning, dyeing, and other crafts in Mid-America. Hi, I'm Sherry. And I'm Tamara. Thank you for listening. We're recording on February 7th, 2021, and today's episode is Knitting Books for Beginners. Hi, Tamara. What are you working on? Okay, don't laugh at me. I cast on yet another hot chocolate hat to knit while we're recording. (laughs) (laughs) This one is in a different color, though. These cables make me really happy. I like the fit of the hat. I like it as like both a full hat and a ponytail hat. And I want a purple one now. So that's what Uh I'm working on. Uh What about you? You totally need to make a project page for 2021, if not for each and every one that you do, but at least a new one, because you are knitting so many of them. (laughs) Okay. What I am working on, I am spinning yarn. I'm spinning yarn to make the sweater spirally by Anna and Heidi Pickles. So I got to tell you about this. That sweater pattern uh, popped up. In the hot right now, for sure. But I think also in the ones that Ravelry filters directly to me saying, you know, you're going to like this one because I have admired their style for years, but never knit knit one of their sweaters. Yeah. Currently, currently right now, I am trying to use what I own rather than going out and buying anything. And that uses a weight of yarn. Uh, It says it uses worsted, but the gauge is 17 stitches to four inches. I totally have uh, that type of yarn in my stash, a lot of it, but I don't have enough to make that sweater oversized, which is what I want. That's not me normally, but I want that in this case. Mm -hmm. So I'm spinning my own, but get this, this is funny. You can laugh at me. It's going to take at least 600 grams to make it oversized. Do I have 600 grams in a similar color? No, no, no. I do not. (laughs) So (laughs) I am now spinning yarn and I'll be doing yarn chicken before I even start. I have a plan in place. I have 300 grams of the purple I want and then I'm going to combine some other colors for other plies. So it'll be overall purple and sort of variegated potentially. Uh huh. But in this, what I, the reason I'm doing it, besides using what I own, is I want to get more projects attached to it because I don't really trust a pattern until there's at least 10 projects attached to it. And considering this sweater has a very, very, very low armholes, I am concerned about it being one of those sweaters where your elbows are trapped against your body and that you can't move around without the whole sweater like hiking up to your boobs whenever you lift your arms. So I want other people to knit it first and uh, so I can look at their pictures before I actually cast on. It's really pretty. I was looking online while you were talking about it. I, I found it. So yeah. Yeah, I'm completely in love with it. I feel like even though logically I think it's potentially a bad choice for all of the reasons from not enough yarn to the elbow trapping uh, potential, I feel like it's going to be fine. I really want it. I fall into love. So that is what I'm working on. All right. What do you have next? Well, I have a couple of things finished. Um, I got the Frida top-down hybrid teeth all the way written, and I started it in test knitting. And I really love this one. I'm working on getting testers right now. 
by the time this goes out, I'll probably have all the testers I need, but boy, I'm excited about this. I like it. I like the way it fits. And I love the flower buds, the panels at the top and the bottom of the sleeves and the body. I love it so much. I put it on. I put on a flowered headband and I channeled my inner Frida to have my husband try to take pictures of me because I'm going to put a picture of me looking like Frida at the end of the pattern. Mm -hmm. So far, I've got four that are okay, but not great. Um, I think what we need to do, I took my Mona, my dress form to Aggieville. That's kind of like right next to the campus, uh, the university that we live next to. There's a town, little area of town that's, you know, bars and coffee shops and restaurants and right next to campus. And so I took my dress form and carried her all over that area. Like, hello, college students, don't mind me. <laughs> um, and I found a restaurant that's just the right backdrop color. And I, so now I'm going to need to put on the t-shirt, the tee, and my flowered headband and go wandering around and say, hello, college students, don't mind me. <laughs> To get a picture taken against that backdrop because it's just the right color to make the the red beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then I just released the Aria hat, which is, uh, it was in test knitting and uh, we just finished it up. I just released it. So that's exciting. It's in three sizes. It's and got cables. Yeah. That is your 100th pattern on Ravelry. Is it really? It really is. Yes. That's exciting. I didn't realize that. Okay. And then, well, I had one more thing, but I didn't know if we had enough time to talk about it. The agave cowl, the mm-hmm. one that I talked about last time, I I finished the sample of that one, and I'm in the process of writing the pattern for it. So that one will be going into test knitting here before long, too. And I'm pretty excited about this one. It, of course, I knitted out of Malabrigo Rios, which I, I love that yarn. But it's a 46-stitch big agave repeat that you complete three times around. So... It goes really fast. It's kind of potato chippy because you're like, okay, I'm going to purl a whole bunch of stitches and then I'm going to make the agave, you know, the spines go this direction. And then wait, it's time to do the next one. And, you know, you're three times around and it's time to start again. So I'm pretty excited about that one. And that one should be going into test knitting soon. It's, um, I, I love the agave. They're big and they're beautiful and they're bold. And I think I'm craving the Southwest. So this kind of helps. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not surprised. Once again, it is a very winter where I am. It's snow is snowing right now again. But yes, I am freezing at the moment. So I'm at Southwest would be very welcome. Yeah. And then I do have one, one more. Um, the next cowl after that is one of mine that's inspired by a painting. And I'm getting really close to finished with that one also. So I'm excited about that one. Just a little heads up. All of this art-related uh, patterns, we are going to be delving deep into that, including a knit-along, starting with our next full-length episode. We're very excited. We've been planning this for months now. Yeah, I am excited. Yes. Are you ready for mulligans now? Yeah, sure, go. Excellent. So on Ravelry right now, in our group, Jim and It Podcast, there is a thread. It's called the Wrap Up, Wind Up, Whip of 2021. It's just a low-key thread where we chat about working on our works in progress for the year. You know, hopefully we get things finished, but ripping things out is okay too. So I've already mentioned on the podcast how I ripped out the Summer Solstice Sweater by Heidi Kiermeyer because that Noro yarn wasn't uh, working out for me color-wise. And that was my goal. That was it. I was going to rip it out, put it back into a stash, and move on to the next project. 
Well, instead, I have been driven. It's like my brain has broken. It's not that I'm excited about it. It's not that I feel like I should. It's not any self-imposed rules. It's just a completion attitude where I cannot work on anything else until this yarn is all used up. So I'm still working on this hat to use the color that I don't like. And I'm on hat number four. I'm just uh -huh. picking these up on the needles. I think this fourth hat might be the last one. I hope there's not enough for a fifth. And then just recently I've cast on the colors I do like into the Earth Shine Cowl by Hilary Smith Callis. So she was, her cowls, shawls were super popular maybe five years ago because what you do is you start out making a shawl. This is a half circle shawl. And then once it gets to a certain size, you join it in the round. So it's impossible to fall off your neck. It's, so it's going to be a shawlette that is attached and the construction of it is brilliant. I see why everybody was knitting her patterns. I may be late to the party, but I am on board. This one is no lace in it. It's all stocking net and garter stitch. The pattern is for two different colors and stripes because I'm using Noro. I'm just doing it in a solid pattern. And mm -hmm. I'm going to knit this over and over again using hand spun because it's just going to show off yarn beautifully. Even though I'm working on this one already, I'm imagining making it again multiple times. Yeah, it's really pretty. I pulled it up while you were talking again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to show you on Zoom, but it is Oh, I wasn't pretty. looking. I was staring at my screen. <laughs> it, hers is much better than seeing mine because I've joined it. You can no longer see that it's a half circle. Uh -huh. um, it's now joined. Oh, here, I can do it. So the front part that's going to go on my chest, it already goes down um, most of the way down my chest. But you can see in the back how there's only one inch of fabric in the back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's just going to keep on getting longer and longer until it goes and falls down over my shoulders. I'm yeah, that quite looks excited. Like a lot. Yeah, that's, that's a fun project. Okay. That is all I have for mulligans. What about you? <laughs> that's all I have. That's so much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I need to put it in mulligans because this seems like a reoccurring theme. But um, before I did finish the Frida tea before I got it out into test knitting and everything. I had that thing almost all the way knit. And I thought, wait, this isn't exactly how I want it. And I want this to be really perfect. I don't want to waste anybody's time. I want it to be the right way. I ripped it all the way back to zero, all the way stinking back. And then, you know, I have deadlines. I make my own deadlines. I don't have a boss telling me when I need to have stuff done by. But I was like seven days from my deadline of when I wanted this test knits to start. I'm like, okay, I can treat this like a magazine deadline. Like I have to get it done and in the mail by then. Turns out it's really hard to treat your own deadline like a magazine deadline. And I missed it by a few days, but you know, it's okay. I did mm -hmm. it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, and that, that reminds me of the reason why I wanted to put this into the mulligans again, because I already talked about it on our last little swatch episode is because most of our mulligans are like what you talked about, where something isn't right and we rip it out and you we start all over until it is right this one i ripped it out and i'm using the yarn for entire, something entirely different i wanted to put out there that knitting you don't have to redo the same thing 
the yarn is still good for something else. Yeah, that's true. I almost switched yarns, yarns in the middle of this one, but I wanted to keep the uh, bright, clear red, and so I didn't do it. But it came close because I have a uh-huh. I have a different sport weight in a bright kind of purple that's actually a slightly better color for me. And I, I stared at that yarn for a really long time before I <laughs> cast this back on. Yeah, I almost switched. Well, let's move on to the topic of the show. We are going to talk about knitting books for beginners. It's been a long time since we've been beginners, mm-hmm. but I was looking through our books and they were on the older side, but I also looked and I still think these are the best books that are available. I don't think anything has come out recently that tops the ones that we're going to be talking about. So Tamara, why don't you get started with your three? Okay. I am going to say I did the same thing. I went digging through my books and they are older. Um, The three I picked were published in 1971, 2002, and 2003. Um, But I went looking online at blogs and different lists and these come up time and again on people's top 10 books for beginners. There are another couple of books that I would like to get my hands on to take a look at. And I I haven't done that, but I did check and they're available at the library. So if we have time at the end, I'll mention those two others that I thought looked like they'd be worth taking a look at. But the three I want to talk about are The Knit Stitch by Sally Melville. That one was published in 2002. Knitting Without Tears by Elizabeth Zimmerman. That one's published in 1971. So it's actually older than I am. And Stitch and Bitch by Debbie Stoller, which was published in 2003. I think each of these are really good books to get you started in knitting to get you thinking about how to make the stitches and also what's possible because really all you're doing is dealing with yarn and needles and you can make it do pretty much anything you want once you know the basics Mm -hmm. yeah and I had a really hard time finding my copy of knitting without tears I keep loaning that one out to new knitters and I thought maybe I loaned it and never got it back it's kind of hard to keep track but I finally did find it it's not loaned out into the world mine is when is you it? said you couldn't find yours, I was like, oh, I'll just pull down mine. No, I don't have it. It's loaned out to a new knitter. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one for that. I just have a little bit about each of them. I didn't know how in-depth we wanted to go. I'll talk about the Knit Stitch first. That one's the one by Sally Millville, and it's um, book one of her. She's got a series of them. And this is actually the book that you gifted to me back when I was trying to learn how to knit. I tried to do it yep. with a book from the library, and that didn't go super well. But eventually, you came out to visit and actually sat down with me and gifted me kind of a kit and also this book. Of the books that we're talking about, I feel like this is the only one that really, really, truly addresses actually learning to make the knit stitch. Oh, you know, I think actually Stitch and Book does a good job of that, too. That's the second okay. one I'm going to talk about. But... she does a really good job like really close to the beginning of this book of the knit stitch there's a page where it's got seven clearly written out steps this is how you learn to knit this is how you use my book like you do this thing go look at the basics and then go look through the patterns and then see on the pattern it tells you what skills you need to have and then come back and look at the basics it's like it's a really good flow and you don't have to follow her suggestions you can go through the book in whatever order you want but there is a whole page that says this is a good way to start And I thought that Mm -hmm. was great. And she's got really clear and concise basic instructions with pictures of the stitches. 
instead of drawings. The other two that I'm going to talk about, they use drawings. And she moves you kind of straight into the patterns. Like she gives you basics and then she starts you with patterns that you can already make with those basics. And then she'll add further things later. I really enjoyed using this one. I think it was a good choice of yours. And I'm pretty sure the first large garment I ever knit is the Einstein coat out of this book. Um, mm-hmm. It shows up about halfway through the book. And she says she named it the Einstein coat because you feel kind of like a genius when it's done. You you knit and you turn the piece and you do what it says and you do it again. And then at the end, you get this great coat. This book has 25 patterns and a lot of skills to build in it. So that's that's the knit stitch. Do you have anything you wanted to add about this one? No, that was really good. Let's go on to the next book. Okay. So then my next one I wanted to talk about was Stitch and Bitch. And I actually think this is my favorite out of the three for the drawings that it does. Uh It's got little three color drawings, black, white, and then I think orange is the third color pulled in. So like the orange is where the new bit that they're talking about is shown. So it's kind of highlighted in my copy of it. And she talks you through like all of the basics and how to fix the mistakes and how to do the seams and all of the other steps. And there's right and wrong drawings on tons of possible problems. So like there's a happy little knit stitch and a happy little purl stitch. And then there's one that doesn't seem as happy because it's facing the wrong direction or right. So from mm-hmm. the way that it's presented um, is really good for my brain to remember And her book is set up differently. The first 150 so pages are all of the things that you need to know to get started, like what kind of terms there are and what kind of tools you might need and some history and some pictures and how to fix things and how to do the basics. And then the rest of the book after that are patterns. And she's got 30-ish patterns in there. There's scarves and hats and baby stuff. There's some sweaters. I've actually made a sweater out of that one too. I think it was the pinup sweater, the pinup queen, something like that. I don't have it right in front of me. Um, And that one is Stitch and Bitch. Oh, and she also talks about how knitting is really a community event. Like it's it's a good way to meet other people and to sit and talk or, you know, just sit and knit if you don't want to talk and um, kind of build a community. And so, yes. Yeah. And her voice in that you can tell by the title Stitch and Bitch is very young, a little bit irreverent. It's a lot of fun to read. Yeah, it's a good book. And some of the pictures are, are pretty fun, too. Like, some of them are older pictures. She must have gotten rights to reproduce those pictures. But some of them are um, not older. They're, like, a little bit edgy. And I think mm-hmm. that's one's, this one's a fun one. And I did check my library, like I said, to see if these are all available there. This one, she's written more than one. This is her first one in the series, I guess. Um, and this one at my library has been checked out so many times that the book is no longer good enough to check out. And they need to replace it. Uh-huh. And then the third one I was going to talk about was Knitting Without Tears by Elizabeth Zimmerman. And she's one of my favorite all-time knitters and knit people who write about knitting. And um, she just does a really great job talking about knitting and yarn and the way that you can make it do whatever you want. Um, yes. and, I think, and I think it's accessible to everyone and it encourages you to decide – I'm just going to I'm just going to start and see what happens and I can learn to do anything I want with it because this that's the way she talks about it. And so I think that's a really great way. Really when it comes down to it, she's right. It's just yarn and it's just needles and you can always rip it back and start over if you need to. You're just mm-hmm. learning new skills skills and building stuff. In her book, she talks about wool and needles and ply and tools and texture and how to do the the basics and then she moves on to how to make projects. 
And there aren't any fully written out patterns in this book. Instead, it's just basic instructions on how an item is made and why you might make choices about the item. And, and then she just leaves you to do it, which I think is a great way to present it. Um, she's also got a small section in this book called Gage, and it's declared as requi required reading, <laughs> which <laughs> I like. Yeah. When you say there's not any patterns, they it also has, what, three to five different ways to make a sweater and how to do it. So it's one of the few beginning knitting books out there that really drops you right into designing your own sweaters. Right. Yeah. And she doesn't say like cast on this many stitches and do right. this. She says, she says, this is how you decide how many stitches you might cast on. And these are the choices you make about what you would do next. And it's a really great way to present it, I think. Yes. That is the book. Stitch and Bitch wasn't written when I started learning to knit. When was that published? That one was published 2003. Yes. Okay. So that came out. Um, I had already learned how to knit, so it wasn't available to me. And Knitting Without Tears is the book that taught me how to think about knitting. Moving on to my books. One thing that is in common with the books that we both chose, because we chose them independently, we both made lists independently and then shared them with each other and then narrowed down from the list. Our books are all about how to think about knitting, uh, rather than that was our guiding theme, and also readability. All of these people are very chatty, a nice voice, to fun to read, so you can read for entertainment. My first book is Knitting in Plain English by Maggie Rigetti. Mm -hmm. It is very much like the Stitch and Bitch book or the Knitting Without Tears. Her voice is um, a happy, easygoing grandma sort of voice. But the first chapter is about what to look for when choosing a pattern just by the pattern photography, like whether or not it's going to fit in your lifestyle. And then the next chapter is about yarn. And then um, after that, it goes into your supplies. And then I'm not doing them in exact order. I'm doing this by memory. And it isn't until chapter five that it's about how to form the stitch. But it's all about how to think about knitting and things to know and vocabulary and it's fun to read and the mistakes that we make like choosing the inappropriate yarn starting a project with not enough yarn all the stuff that we <laughs> talk about in the podcast she's covered in this book she also has a second book sweater design in plain english which is not really part of this podcast but that is excellent also you're not familiar with this book knitting in plain english right or are you no not really you're making okay. me want to go find it though you should. You should. She's no longer doing classes or anything. She was really big in the 80s, which is before our time frame, but her book has held up. The next one doesn't teach you how to make stitches at all. So this one you need to know how to form the knit stitch, but it's excellent and it's the humor writer. So it's Knitting Rules by Stephanie Pearl McPhee, The mm -hmm. Yarn Harlot's Bag of Knitting Tricks. The first 30 pages, it assumes that you're already hardcore in love with knitting. And then after that, though, it actually gives knitting rules and tricks and things like that, you know, knitting socks, formulas, 
how to make a scarf, you know, formulas for that. So it is also really good. And that one was also very formative to a lot of my knitting. When I buy yarn, how much yarn to buy, things like that. I still think back to the things that she said in this book. And I found it very helpful as a new knitter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. And then this last one, oh, it is so dry. <laughs> it's so <laughs> dry. But everybody needs a knitting textbook type of book. And as far as knitting textbooks go, the Hand Knitters Handbook by Monsi Stanley is excellent. And the reason why I think everybody needs a textbook is because without knowing the different things that are available, how are you going to go find the YouTube video on how to do it? Then the reason why I like this one, why I chose this textbook over the others, is that she does spend a, quite a bit of time on the different way knit stitches can be formed. So it's not only the English style and the continental style. There's also um, using a knitting belt, the one where the yarn goes around the back of your neck. I'm pulling a blank on what's that called. Mm. There's a lot of different ways of forming a stitch that is listed. And the way I handle using a textbook style like this is I go through and I look at the pictures. And then when I see something that grabs my attention, I read that chapter or read that little tidbit. Unlike all of the other books we talked about, we can sit down and read it like a novel while also learning stuff. This one I can only take in small bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And it is like, you're right. You have to know what term you're looking for to find a good video. And I was going to say that um, there's a lot of really great videos out there that you, you can, if, once you know, I'm not doing this particular thing quite right, you can go to Google and put in exactly that term and you'll find some really great knitting tutorials out there, but you got to have a little bit of knowledge to get to that point. Cause otherwise, you know, you're putting in searches that won't get you what you want. Yeah. 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 Well, the Hand Knitter's Handbook, when I was looking at it online to get a brand new or like new copy, they were running about $88. You can get them online used for $3.99 with free shipping. Oh, wow. Snap up those knitting textbooks now because I haven't seen anybody putting in the effort or the amount of paper and publishing to make new ones in our era of free YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah. Hey, do you want me to talk about the two I haven't actually looked at, but also made it on a lot of other people's lists? I, I think I'll want to look at them at some point. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, one of them was Knitting for the Absolute Beginner by Alison Dupernix, and that one came out in 2012. And then the other one is Teach Yourself Visually to Knit or Teach Your Visually Self to Knit. I don't, there's visual in the title. I don't have it written down. But both of those made it on a lot of people's lists when I was looking it up. Okay. All right. Podcast announcements. Join the Geminit Podcast group on Ravelry and follow us on Instagram at Geminit Podcast. So that's entertainment. What do you have for this? Okay, so I have lots of little things. Do you want me to go through mine, or do you want to take turns, or how do you want to handle it? Hmm. Hmm. Let's... I will go ahead and go first. 
so my brother visited uh, so that he could do his quarterly trip to KU Med. Mm-hmm. And he requested, normally after we spend a day seeing the doctors, we go and get Thai food at a restaurant. But with the safer at home, we haven't gone to a restaurant since last March. And I don't know, getting takeout and then driving home 40 minutes and eating cold, expensive takeout just does not appeal to me. He requested that we make Thai curry at home. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to get Thai curry in time. In fact, what I did was I dropped him off at the doctor's office. And since I was already on that side of town, I went to the Pan Asia market. I found their little tiny cans of curry and they had nine different flavors. And mm-hmm. I bought the seven flavors that didn't have wheat as a thickener in it. And I cannot That's a lot wait. Of curry. <laughs> it is. And of those seven, there is only two that I've heard of before. Uh, so five brand new curries to me. Uh, I'm putting a link into the show notes. One is for the Pan Asia Market. So if you're local to me, you can see where to go to get them. And then, mm-hmm. however, their website is just their address and like a couple of pictures of the store. So I had to go to a non-local one to get a link of the actual curry itself. I feel compelled to say that the prices don't match. For some reason, spending less than $14 on curry is reasonable, but putting a link out there that shows that I paid more than $21 on curry really bothers me. It's like... So I I don't know. I guess the perceived uh, Midwestern frugalness, I don't know. <laughs> but you can actually see what the little curry looks like. And I can't wait. I'm going to make my first batch this afternoon with the CSA vegetables that I picked up in the snow yesterday. Yeah, I think that is all I have for That's Entertainment. But it is. Oh, I do want to say something else about it. The ingredients list on all of them are almost exactly the same. So it's going to be interesting to see how taking the same ingredients but varying the amounts is going to make enough difference that it's listed as a different flavor. Yeah, that's really interesting. What's the first one you're going to – you're going to – I said knit, but I mean which (laughs) – cook, cook. What's the the first one you're going to cook? I think – I think it's going to be the Pring King Curry Paste. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly because all of those um, letters together, but I have it linked. Pring means chili pepper and king means ginger and it's going to be a spicy ginger red curry. That seems to be something that I recognize the picture, but yeah, there there's going to be the link in our show notes. That's fun. I'm excited to hear how this all goes. Yeah. Okay, so I have shows and a book and a little bit of cooking, too. So I'll start with the shows. We started watching WandaVision on Disney+, and we watched the first episode, and I was mad. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on. I'm annoyed. And what the hell? 
<laughs> I really wanted to like this. But then um, we watched the next. We're up to episode five now, I think. And I, re- I really like it. It's great. It's just if you watch it and you get through the first episode and think, what? Um, I still recommend it. I think it's worth watching. So we're having fun with that. Um, the very first episode is set like in the 19 is like a 1950s sitcom, I think. And both boys, you know, I have two teens and they're watching it with us and they're like, do we have to watch this? What is going on? (laughs) Like, this is a terrible TV show. And I'm like, no, it's very much like a sitcom from this era. And they're like, why did anybody watch TV in that era? Like, (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) they were also disgruntled. But um, so we've been watching that. And I, I do, I do recommend it. It's just the first episode. I got to the end of it and I thought, Okay, I'm confused, I'm angry, and I, what just happened? <laughs> There's that. And then uh, the husband and I, after the boys go upstairs and be teens for the evening, we've started watching um, some stuff on Netflix, and one of them we w- watched was Lupin, um, which is a, like a modern retelling of a classic French uh, novel about a world-famous gentleman thief. And so it's a very handsome uh, French Senegalese man who is a gentleman thief like he was gifted this book when he was young and he's kind of modeled his life off of it it's in French um and with English subtitles which is hard to watch while you're knitting Mm -hmm. but I I speak French or I did at one point so I'm like okay I think I can just listen and I'll pick this up and in each episode like the first 10 minutes I'm like I don't speak French anymore I can't tell what's going on and then something clicks and all of a sudden I can understand most of the French I'm like oh this is great. I should do this more often and and go find some Spanish stuff too, because I like being able to understand other languages. Mm -hmm. We've been having fun with that. And it's episodes again, it's a TV, it's a series of shows. And then I've been reading Playing Big by Tara Moore. I've mentioned before that I do the co-working sessions every month, sometimes twice a month with um, women, almost always women now that I think about it from all over the world. And um, the lady that facilitates these also has a book and then she also has some trainings and stuff. But I'm in the section right now at the beginning of the book where it's talking about not letting your inner critic take over and convince you not to take the steps that you would need to take to build towards a dream as a Mm -hmm. woman. There's some homework to do that I haven't done yet. I've been putting it off. Maybe I'll get it done this afternoon, but I'm enjoying reading this book. So that one And then I picked up my first book about Qigong, and it's by a lady whose videos I really enjoy. It's called Qigong and the Tai Chi Axis, and I borrowed this one through Hoopla, through the library. But I'm learning so much with this. I think this is going to be my very first purchase to go in my Qigong library. So I'm kind of excited about that. Um, It talks about stuff that I didn't know, like I can do the moves, but it talks you through kind of the background and it's got pictures of her doing the moves. And I'm like, I I think I need an actual physical copy of this one. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm kind of excited about that one. And then my cooking thing is we are finally to where we can start cooking things that are no longer low FODMAP. The older teen is starting to be able to eat pretty much anything again. I think this will bounce back and forth. For him, But right now we're in the process of putting foods back into our diet. And one of the things I'm most excited about adding back are beans. Uh-huh. I'm going to make those black bean burgers. I've already made them once since we're in this and I'm going to do them again this afternoon. They are so good. And I am going to add the link in the show notes again. I've done it before, but I love these burgers so much. I like them better than even beef burgers, which is saying quite a bit from a person in the Midwest, I think. 
Are these from scratch or are these a patty that you buy? No, I bought some patties and thought they were nasty. These are from scratch. Okay. okay. Well, sort of scratch. You start with black beans in a can. Uh-huh. Anything that involves more than opening a box is from scratch. Yeah. yeah. No. And this recipe is, the title of it is called The Best Black Bean Burgers I've Ever Had. And I agree with that title. <laughs> okay. And I looked at it when I printed the recipe, you know, I print them and stick them in my box. And at the time I printed it, it had 4.9 stars from 243 other people that had reviewed the the recipe too. So I think a lot of people like them. But anyways, that's, I'm excited to add beans back to our diet. Okay. Well, we just have enough time. I get to talk about games. That almost never happens because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because of the pandemic, my bubble is just my family and they actually live three hours away so i played games six times last year and once this year which is when my brother visited hmm. i bought terraforming mars prelude to give my brother as his birthday present and it is a deck of cards that you add into the game it adds some beginner corporations which are very similar in strength to the current corporations so that is fine but it also adds a another deck of pink cards where everybody is dealt four and then you keep two and you discard the other two and then you play them as an action just once they cost nothing to buy they cost nothing to play and they jump start the game hmm. you pretty much completely skip the first part of this game with these cards you go straight into the middle game and the games, instead of ending with us in between 70 and 130 points, the game is over by the time someone gets 34 points as a generalization, meaning hmm. it is cutting the game by a third. Wow. Two thirds. Let me do the math right. It's cutting the game by <laughs> two thirds. Now, the time is not being cut by two thirds because a lot of those points happen at the end where we would be having turns that instead of maybe one or two points, we would be putting down 20 points each or mm. at least 15 or 10. But it really, really speeds up the game. And it adds a level. Terraforming Mars has always been a game where it's very comfortable. You get your engine going. And it's all about the feel goods of collecting and making money and making stacks and things like that. Well, this adds in that game angst of, oh, oh, am I going to have time to do this? Am I going to, you know, that <laughs> whole game angst that we enjoy, it mm -hmm. really ups that to an 11. It's been a long time since I've had a game give me any sort of angst. And putting in these cards did that in a good way. I was like, Am I going to win? Am I going to lose? Am I going to have time to play this card? Is it's, um, I really, really enjoyed it. So I am going to give that. We're supposed to give knitability ratings. Um, playing with my family, Terraforming Mars has a very low knitability because we all have the same play style, which is fast. It's mm -hmm. like it's you pass the little moon. So it's your turn. You do your two things. Boom, boom. And it's passed to the next person. We play in groups of two or three. So I would say by the time it's back around to me, we're talking, um, we're talking every three minutes I get the moon again. 
So hmm. I've, yeah, that's yeah. Fast. <laughs> it's not like playing at your house or playing with uh, my local Dean friends where there's at least one person, if not everybody that mulls over their turn. And um, yeah, there's, we're like playing those speed chess competitions. It's like, how fast can we get through our turn? Hmm. Yeah. It sounds like fun. It is. It really is. And you've talked about how your family is done playing Terraforming Mars, which I totally get. It is literally the only game that plays at my house, Ooh, unless we dust off Splendor, which is also a real fast in between the turns. But right. we don't get to play it as often, or so it's not like we've played it as many times as I think you have. Right. Um, we actually got a new piece to Terraforming Mars for Christmas, too. I should talk uh-huh. about that at some time. So... Let's wrap up this podcast and save that for a different time because we're definitely out of time. Okay, sounds good. All right, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now.